each of you in the name of Jesus, the one who is still worthy and always will be worthy. What a blessing it's been to be here. might just share a little bit how my day went. I thought I knew what I was going to preach tonight. And uh, sometime this afternoon as I was trying to get that message ready, all at once I realized it's just not going. It's just not coming. And uh, I felt God leading me down a different road. And tonight when the song leader got up and when Brother Eric got up, I wonder if they saw my notes or something. I don't think they did, but I appreciate the fact that none of us, myself certainly first of all, is in control. We want God to be in control. And uh, So keep praying and let's see what God has for us this evening. I thought maybe before I'd start, I'd do something that I probably should have done last night. I, I usually forget this and... And uh, usually somebody comes up, usually multiple people come up and remind me, and it's a common question I face, what happened to your hand? So I'm just going to tell you, and I'll tell you this too, that it's been uh, 21 years. So it's such a part of my life, it's not even a conscious part of my life. And uh, But when I was 16 years old, I got it in a straight line rip table, which is a big commercial table saw. And all the, all the fingers were severed. There was one that was still attached, very little. Uh, I won't go into a long story, except the police chief rushed the fingers. After they found them, it took them an hour and a half or something to find them. He rushed the fingers about an hour away to the hospital. Uh, they reattached them. Uh, they were on for, I remember right, about a week and a half. They tried to bring them back and through through different processes, they ended up having to take him back off. I've had some reconstructive surgeries. If you wonder if I feel handicapped, I, I really don't. Maybe I should. But And I, I'd like to encourage you, uh, maybe there's people here with physical needs, physical handicaps. If you have children or relatives, grandchildren, these things do not have to be negative. When I look back at, at this injury... Um, I would I would look back on it with a with, that it was a positive thing. I was not a Christian at the time. God used it in ways that that only He can do, and He can He can turn our lives down different roads. and And the important thing is to stay stay open to Him. But I encourage you with that in life. Uh, don't approach things that are hard to understand as a negative. Uh, they can help us become. Better people, they can help us be more prepared for heaven, and maybe have a greater longing for heaven. And those are not negative things. There's plenty of people that are severely handicapped, physically and spiritually, that don't have a thing wrong with them physically. And so, with God, all things are possible, and to Him be all the glory. Well, tonight I've. The message I felt like God laid on my heart, which went so well with the second song, and there's a point coming later in the message that goes very well with brother, what Brother Eric shared, and it's the theme of who is God. I believe it's, an, it's a very foundational question. I'd like to think a little bit before we go there. 
about the theme of the weekend, crucial moments in life, and uh, perhaps turn to Esther chapter 6 again. We touched just a little bit on Esther last night. And there's something so exciting that happens after uh, that portion in Esther chapter 4 where where Esther is told that uh, you know, you can hold your peace and, and God's gonna, God might find another way to work or God will probably deliver the Jews in, a, in another way, in a different way, but you and your house might be destroyed. And then Mordecai encouraged Esther. He, 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 uh, he said, but in verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And I believe it's so crucial. I wonder how many of us are asking ourselves the question, and, and, and not just once every three years or once every five years, but regularly asking the question, God, what do you have me here for? You know, so much of life today, and now I know I'm going down a bunny trail kind of, but so much of life today, people are pushing this fact of, of you know, there's a purpose for your life and there's been a whole system of beliefs developed on there's a purpose for your life, but how many of us are saying, God, what is your purpose for our life? What is your purpose for my life? Somebody said of that book that was written about the purpose for our life, uh, the opening line of that book is, it's not about you. But then the rest of the book goes on to say why it is about you. If you don't like the music at the church, you're going to now go to another church where they'll they'll adjust their music just for you. If you don't like the program at this church, go over to this church and let them adjust it for you. Now, does that sound like it's not about you? I think that sounds like it's all about the individual. And I'm afraid that that we're not asking the question enough, Lord, what do you want me to do? And help me to do it faithfully. And what excites me about the book of Esther is the fact that when we are faithful in the crucial moments, God is faithful in the crucial moments. That's a promise that you'll find throughout this book. And how often have we come away from a situation saying God is not faithful when the real heart of the matter was we weren't faithful. And we find Esther here. There's something so exciting in chapter 6. Verse 1, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records. Now remember, Esther had just had the, had the courage to go in and, and talk to the king and and, uh, and what, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, On that night could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that minister unto him, There is nothing done for him. And then notice verse 4, And the king said, Who is in the court? And remember Haman, just previously, just at the end of chapter 5, Haman went home to his wife and to his friends and he was bragging and he was celebrating. But he said, there's one problem. There's this Jew that sits in the gate and he won't bow to me. He won't pay me any reverence. And if this is just my way of saying it, but, but there, there's just a cloud hanging over my life because this man refuses to bow to me. And now in verse 4, as we find God, well then, then his wife and his friends suggest, you know what, why don't you build a gallows? Why don't you make a gallows to hang Haman on? And the Bible says the thing pleased. Sorry, why don't you build a gallows to hang Mordecai on? And the Bible says the thing pleased Haman. 
Now look at the timing here. The king couldn't sleep. They read of the book of the Chronicles of what had happened in the history of the people. The king says what's been done to Mordecai. And just after that, there's I picture this noise. And he says, who's, who's in the... Uh, who is in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Friends, let me tell you, that was not man's timing. That was man trying extremely hard to control the timing, but it was God's timing. And we won't go any further, but, but what an exciting story. And I just remind us again, when we are faithful in the crucial moments in life, God will be faithful in the crucial moments in life. I'd like to just consider two verses from that poem we read last night. Um, two of the verses go, Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Who is God? I believe God is the very foundation of our life. And as we think about crucial moments, let your mind go back over your life to where you are today. And where your view of God is today. What are some things that have helped shape that view? And I'd like to just consider some of, of, of what I believe the Bible tells us about God. But what are some things that have happened that, that have shaped the view of who God is in your mind and heart today? A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, I believe this is such a true statement. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If somehow tonight you and I could, could all reveal what our view of God is, I believe there could be with, with quite a bit of accuracy we could determine where you will be 30 years from now. If you believe tonight that God is about 10% holy and 90% love, I think we could predict where you'll be. And vice versa as well. Many times we've addressed problems on the surface and we've called for change. And I believe many times we should have called for change. But perhaps at times we've approached it the wrong way. And we haven't asked, what is your view of God? What is your view of God? Why do we think the way we do? Why do we act the way we do? And today I'm sure you with me have heard God portrayed such a, such a, in such a myriad, such a variety of different ways. To a God that is, that doesn't want his children to enjoy life. Life is, life is supposed to be so dry and so, so empty and boring to a God who wants His children to have as much fun as possible. From a God that is so buddy-like that I can make the rules to a God that's so impersonal 
that He barely notices I'm here. Tonight again I ask, what is your view of God? What is my view of God? Who is God? Well, there's a lot of places in Scripture we can turn. And the proverb writer in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, and I think we'll turn to those. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. There's some different verses I'd like to consider. The proverb writer said, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. And if I could just paraphrase that, and if we're serious about it, if we're serious about our quest to know God, which by the way, uh, there's no greater quest, there's no more important quest in life. And I know it's not a process that you arrive at overnight or or you can somehow come and say, Oh, now... Now I understand God. I fully understand that. But I believe we need the prayer of the proverb writer where he said, don't give me anything in life that will dim my view of you. If if wealth and riches and popularity will dim my view of who you are, then don't give them to me. Give me nothing in life. And we get, a, we get a glimpse at the heartbeat and passion of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 17 when He prayed, and this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 to 10, I'd like to turn there and read those. The Apostle Paul, I believe, has something very important to say, and he says words that are, that in our flesh are gonna be very hard for us to say, but he says, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in Him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And listen to what he says in verse 10. He says that I may know Him. But he goes on and he says something that is going to be so difficult for us to to follow. It's, It's going to be so difficult for us to say, he says, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And I ask the question tonight, how much do you and I want to know God? I believe it's an extremely important question for us to settle. Job said in chapter 42, verse 5, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. In other words, I've gotten to know you on a completely different level. And if you understand what Job had just gone through, and there's that whole dialogue where where Job is confused, and he says, oh, I just wish I could come to court with God, and I wish I could ask Him questions. I wish I could put Him to the test. And you know what happened when Job finally got his day in court, so to speak? God, I'm not sure how many questions there were that God asked Job. And when Job was done, he, he basically put his hand over his lips. When God was done. And Jesus said in Mark 8.29, He asked His followers a very, very important question. Remember He had asked them, Who do, whom do men say that I am? And there was this, they were saying, well, some say this and some say that, but he said, whom do you say that I am? Very, very important. And there's a battle line drawn, there's a battle line that, that I believe will go on all through, all through time until we get to the, 
get to eternity where Jesus Christ returns, there's a battle line that is being drawn and if the enemy of our soul can somehow convince us that God is not who the Bible says He is, He will have won a major victory in our life. There's a battle line that's right there. And I believe one of the most crucial questions of that battle line is do you and I have a right view and knowledge of God? You know, I'm in the the printing trade and and we work with marketing and, and marketing can be pretty tricky. But how often have we gotten fooled in marketing? If you ever going out to look at a property and you see these pictures of the property and you know it looks good. Maybe this doesn't happen out west here, I don't know, but it happens in Ohio. And you get out to look at the property and and you think there must be some mistake. This is a different property. But the longer you stand there look around, oh, oh I see how they did that. They wanted me to believe something about that property that would help me to come out and hopefully fall for it. Hopefully buy the property. How about things you find advertised that, you know, we had friends that drove all the way from Ohio to somewhere in Illinois to buy this pet-free, smoke-free van. But somehow the odor and the pet hair on the back of the seats told a different story. What about pictures? We had we had something that happened to us some time ago where uh, Krista had bought some chicken and mashed potatoes at the store and you know, somehow what was on the picture and what was in the box just did not jive. In fact, the children, it kind of became a joke and, and one of the children said, Hey, I found a piece. Somehow there was not as much chicken in the box as it, in the box as it looked like on the outside of the box. And you know, a limited perspective. I'd like to move on to a little bit of a different phase now, but a limited perspective is perhaps what Satan has used so often and continues to use today. Where there's people, there's people, and this is what I appreciate appreciated so much about the devotional and this is a point that's coming later but there's people today that are presenting a partial truth of who God is and then saying that's the whole truth that's very very dangerous there's there's a poem that my mind goes to as I think of this and, and I didn't know that there was a whole poem written about the blind men and the elephant but it goes like this it was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant though all of them were blind that each by observation might satisfy his mind the first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl it is for sure this elephant is very like a wall the second feeling of the tusk cried ho oh, what have we here so very round and smooth and sharp to me tis mighty clear this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear the third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands thus boldly up and spake I see said he the elephant is very like a snake the fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee what most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain said he tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree 
The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, said he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. And may I say that so many church movements of today, the premise is that people are no longer going to accept this message. We're going to have to change the message. You look at the message of the mega church movement and the things that have come out of that and basically what you find is people are saying, you know, if we, if we preach the cross of Jesus Christ, if we preach repentance, if we preach death to self, people are not going to accept that message. That's not a popular message. We're going to have to change the message to fill the pews, to fill the offering baskets and to make so this program can keep going. But there's a fundamental problem there. And it's not just that. It's, it's Calvinists. And, and there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of groups that you look at. The message that they pull out from this, this Scripture. And it seems like there's some they purposefully avoid because this doesn't quite fit in with what we're now trying to preach. With what we're now trying to promote. And they're trying to... That they're trying to preach a different kind of God or, or a different side of God and not presenting the whole picture. And there's a problem with that because God cannot be changed. James chapter 1 verse 17. And I love this verse. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. If you and I can kind of picture this tonight, if there's this great big hulk of an object, this huge object, and, and it's so big that we can't even really see that it's turning, but we can watch the shadow, and all at once the shadow is moving just a little bit, and that tells us that this is turning, that tells us that this is moving, but the Bible says of God that there is no shadow of turning. There's nothing that's moving. God is the same as He's always been and the same as He always will be. And for you and I to find peace and freedom and joy in Jesus Christ, we're going to have to accept the fact of who God is. We cannot change who He is. And by the way, that's not a negative statement. That's a statement that I can guarantee you and I that if we want to go after God with all our hearts, we will find out what man was really created for. The world is promoting a gospel that says, you know what, uh, do this and this and this and, and everything will be just fine. You can still keep your alcohol. You can still keep your movies. You can still keep your habits. All these things. You, you can just kind of mix the two together. But my friends, that's not how God created us. God created you and I to be people that worship Him and follow Him. And it's in that that we will find the greatest joy we can know. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bereans were commended because the Bible says they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. And I ask this question. What is my view of God based on tonight? Is it based on a God that I can come to Him and largely stay intact? Or is it based on a God 
that I want to subject myself to and what He tells me to, that's what I want to do. What is my view of God? Those are crucial moments. And the only safe path is to to follow the God that the Bible portrays from cover to cover. Jeremiah chapter 9, I'd like to turn back to that. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. You see, here it is, just as plain, just as black and white as it can be. Those things will never bring us the fulfillment that, that God wants us to have. Verse 24, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And then a little bit later, Jeremiah 29, verse 13, the Bible says, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. What does that phrase, all your heart, mean? I believe it means that you know we're used to looking for something with our eyes and something's lost and, and we know it's lost and we're, we're going around with our eyes and we're looking for it. But when, we're, when the Bible tells us how we're going to really find God, it means that we search for Him with all our being. You shall search for Me and find Me when you shall search for Me with all of your heart. Well, who is this God? And why is it so important to have a proper view of Him? What are the implications? What are the repercussions if tonight we decide it's not worth it? If we really believe that this God created us, knows all about us, Knows all about our past, knows all about our present, knows all about our future. Then our view of Him must be in line. There are things in life we can kind of be out of kelter with. And the repercussions are not all that great. But if tonight we're not seeking after God and we're not seeking to know God as He really is, our whole life will be out of kelter. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 says, And fear not him who is able to kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, there's, there's a part of the answer to that question. Why is it so important to know this God? Because one day this God will pronounce our final destiny. I'd like to explore some facts about God. And the first one is the God of creation. It's perhaps the one, one of the most, the first and most fundamental truths about God is the fact that He created all things. And we could go into a lot of different ways, but tonight I'd like to consider the, the point, consider the message of He created you and I. He's our Creator. And time is rapidly moving on. I don't think we're going to turn to all these scriptures, but there's a scene in Exodus chapter 4 verses 1 to 18. 
And I look back over this scene today and, you know, here's Moses and God is telling him something to do, but Moses said, you know, you know, Lord, I, I just can't speak and, and they're not going to listen to me. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God's anger was kindled. And you know the question he asked Moses? He said, who made man? Jeremiah 1.5, God told Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And at least four times in the book of Isaiah, God refers to the fact that He formed Israel. He's the God of creation. And that's a broad term that speaks of the fact that He created everything. But tonight I believe God wants us to bring it down to more of a narrow term. And that is the fact that He created you. He created me. I love the verse in Amos chapter 4 verse 13 where it says, For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. We serve a mighty and a powerful God. And God wants that creation principle in your and my life. And the question tonight is, is it evident, is it evident that that creation principle is alive and you're in my life today. We work with copyrights. And when a writer comes up with a creation with his pen, or when a poet or a songwriter come up with something, they, they earn the right to put a copyright on that work. When an inventor comes up with something, you know, he has this idea in his mind and, and then it comes out into his hands and, and he, he creates this machine, and, but he has the right then to put on that machine all rights reserved. And there's a creation principle that deals with you and I. When I leave God out of my thinking, I'm trampling on that creation principle. When I use my talents and time based on selfishness and pride, I'm trampling on that creation principle. When I'm unwilling to be used in whatever way God chooses for it interferes with my plans or puts me out of my comfort zone, I'm trampling on a creation principle. When I'm convicted about something I'm doing, an attitude I'm having, or something I have that God wants me to get rid of and I refuse to listen, I'm trampling on a creation principle. When I desire my appearance to draw attention to myself, I'm trampling on a creation principle. When I disregard the authority structure God put in my life, I'm trampling on a creation principle. Tonight, does God, your Creator, does God, my Creator, have access to all those areas? Number two, the God that is loving and good. You know, I love this part because I'm convinced tonight that God's love, God's grace, God's goodness is so much bigger, so much grander than you and I can fathom. And we do not need to fear. The devil will sometimes tempt us that, you know, you can't trust God. You, you can't trust Him to surrender everything to Him. But may I urge us that this is an area I believe it is so, so important to settle in our minds and never go back and open that door. Never, never let that question be unsettled again. 
that God is loving and good. Job 33, I'd like to turn to that. And this is, this is Job speaking. Job 33, verses 27 to 30. Job says, He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things work of God, oftentimes with man, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. We serve a God that is so mighty and powerful and so able to, to handle all of our problems. Psalm 130 verses 3 to 4, very similar to what Job said. It says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mightest be feared. And that's in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know how many verses we could turn to. But there came a time when God showed His love, showed the extent of His love in ways that man had never seen before. And I have these verses in my notes. I don't think we'll turn to them. But there are so many that just... Maybe we will turn to to the one passage in Romans chapter 8. But there's so many verses that deal with the goodness of God. And I ask you this question... Have you settled that in your mind? Have you settled that in your mind? I know sometimes it can be difficult, but tonight we need to be settled that God is loving and good. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 to 11, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. I think I have the wrong passage. Let me... I believe I want Romans chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Yes. Romans 5, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And how often have we stopped to ponder that, that verse? You know how, how the, the world understands. Jesus told His followers that the world understands very well when we do good to them that do good to us. But the Bible tells us that while we were yet enemies, while we were yet estranged to God, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Praise God tonight that, that while you and I were dead in sin, Jesus Christ was there and the Bible tells us He comes. We talked about it last night. But He comes to the door and He knocks and He wants to be let in and He wants to change everything about our life. And then we discover just how good and loving God really is. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Friends, you and I are helpless. You and I cannot do it in our own strength. If God would not reach out to us, we could not reach out to Him. 
It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 8, 20, verse 28, a very familiar word, verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Jesus Christ gave everything that was possible to give. He didn't stop with just mockery. He didn't stop with just beating. He didn't stop with just being spit upon. But He gave His very life. And it showed to what extent the goodness of God is real. I wonder how many people have given into the lie that God is not good. And I wonder where it's led them. It's led them to places that they should have never gone. And I believe it's a message we need to keep alive. That God is trying to get us. And, and I believe this is a key where we sometimes get confused and sometimes get off track. But, but maybe we forget that God is trying to get us from this earth that... That is imperfect because of the fall and there's sin here. It all happened so long ago, but God is trying to get us from this place to a place where none of it will be known anymore. He never promised that things would be easy, but He promised that if we're faithful to Him, He will be faithful to us. And I don't want anybody tonight to to lose out because of that question of whether God is loving and good. And you know what? Some of the greatest blessings in people's lives have come from those that have clung to that fact. Even in some of the most adverse circumstances, they have clung to the fact that God is still loving and good. And they find a peace, they find a presence, they find a strength that nothing else can give them. My mind goes to my father-in-law tonight and and almost, uh, almost two years ago, he suffered a stroke that we didn't know if he was going to survive. We didn't know if he was going to pull through. But you know what his testimony was after it was all over? After the breathing tube that he desperately tried to pull out of his throat and, and after confusion and mind fog, you know what his testimony was? He felt the presence of God right there by his side. And my mind always goes to this old saint. He's, he's going on to glory. He was a member at our church for years. And you had to know him. Maybe somebody, some people here knew him. I don't know. But he was a saint. I went to visit him in the hospital one time after he had a stroke. And, and he reached out and shook my hand just like he always did from the hospital bed. But you know, I saw that man just days before his time on earth was over. And he was wheezing. He couldn't hardly breathe right anymore. But you know what he was saying? God is so good. You know why? Not because his body felt all good. But because he knew the presence of God. I ask the question tonight, what has the goodness of God done to my motivation to serve Him? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, 
For the love of Christ constraineth us. It means it arrests us. It holds us in. The love of Christ constraineth us. And I do not believe that we should present this picture without the next point, and that is the fact that the God that is holy. And it's a message that's being less and less accepted. And I wonder sometimes why. Why are people that that they profess, you know, we want to follow God with all our hearts, but, but you try to convince them that this same God that is loving and good and holy, loving and good and kind, is also a God of holiness. What does holiness mean? It means he's, he's sacred, he's pure, he's morally blameless. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he said there to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what that word hallowed, if I understand it correctly, it's the Greek word hagiazo. And if, if, if I understood the meaning correctly, it's something that we set apart to where it's at a place that nothing else is. Jeremiah 9.24, the verse we read earlier, talked about loving kindness and it talked about judgment and righteousness. Brother Eric shared from, from the Psalms where it talks about both. And I wonder how often do we find, do we find God or Jesus Christ separated from those two attributes, the fact that they're good and that they're holy. And you know, I've talked about some of these subjects before and, and you know, I, I can still kind of hear the message or hear the words ringing in my head after, after the one sermon and I talked about the fact that he's loving and good and somebody came up and said, you know, I really like the point about God being loving. Oh, I like the other points too, but I really like... Somewhere along the line I realized it seems like we're playing Golden Corral with God. I don't know if you've ever been to a Golden Corral, but you walk in there and there's all these tables and... And, and you can say, oh, I don't want that, and I don't want that, and I don't want, but, but now here's some I want, here's some I want, here's some. I don't believe we have the right to do that with God. I don't think we can say, I want this part of God, and I want this part of God, but I, I really don't want that part of God. The God that is holy. The God that is holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 to 16, it uses the same verse, the same Greek word as is used in Matthew in the Lord's Prayer. There, First uh, Peter one, where the Bible calls us to be holy as well. First Peter one verses fourteen and sixteen: As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorant ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner. Of conversation. Friends, tonight the Bible says that God is holy and it calls us to be holy. So often, and we've probably heard this message, but so often God is presented as one that will forego part of who He is in favor of another part. And friends, I'd like to say that's dangerous ground. You find that message so consistently in here that God is both. And I'd like to turn to one more. And we're just about ready to close. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is praying. 
And he's praying for the people and he's praying that they would find something about God. 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 12 and 13. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Tonight, the fact is there. God is loving, God is good, and God is holy. And where has that taken us? Are we seeking to know God? And may the primary reason, this is the challenge I'd like to leave us with. And I'd like to to have prayer and then turn the time back over to Brother Eric. But may the primary reason that we are who we are be because God is who He is. May God help us. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in Heaven tonight, we bow our heads and our hearts before You and we thank You for the fact that You are the Creator of all things. And You've created these things for us to enjoy and yet You call us to live this life in a way that is that, that shows our love, our adoration, our worship, and our appreciation for You. Thank You for Jesus Christ. Thank You for these verses that talk about the fact that He was rich and yet for our sakes He became poor, that we through His poverty might be rich. Thank You. Thank You for the fact that you're a, you're a rock, You're stable, You're an anchor that we can always come to. We can always find You faithful. Lord, help us to follow You. Thank You for each one that's here tonight. Thank You for the fact that You know our hearts, You know our lives, and You want us to know You with all our hearts. Help us to seek You so that we find You with all our hearts. And we just continue to commit the weekend and and the preaching of Your Word into Your hands. May Your will continue to be done. Help us to continue to grow more and more into Your image and likeness until You call us home or until Jesus returns. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll turn the time back over to Brother Eric.